When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. And it's a special podcast, Peter. Not only are we celebrating and chatting about a Luton uh, town match victory to open the season, but it is our 300th episode. Uh, This should be now we'll intercept a um, a fanfare kind of effect on the uh, audio but I haven't got one to hand, so I'll just do a, a general one with my hand. Here we go, 300 up in just over three and a half years. Of- That's a lot of shit talks, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, who knew we could get through that many hours of absolute... I mean, I don't think anyone doubted it, to be honest. <laughs> well, I have my Big Balls t-shirt on at the weekend, uh, the Deserby t-shirt, and, you know, I suppose we do talk a lot of Big Balls. I'm glad you said t-shirt, t-shirt then. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, and and uh, what what a day to be had. It was um, it was it was great, wasn't it? A four-one win. What a good um, start to the season. Um, we'll talk about that in a lot of detail, of course, coming up. And we are Peter joined by regular friend of the show, Alan Dodd. Hello, Alan. Hi. How are you doing? Uh, yeah. Thanks. It's a privilege to be on the three hundredth episode. Thank you very much. Yeah, we have yeah. one or two other people uh, sort of penciled in to possibly join us as well, uh, other regulars. We'll see if they join us in due course. Uh, we, they may or may not do. But uh, I feel like we should have done something um, more kind of elaborate and more celebratory, maybe get some sort of special guest on. Well, we could um, have left it till Europe, couldn't we? And, but then it would have involved shutting up for like a month yeah, and that wouldn't just, have been practical. Just do no podcast at all. Just say the 300th one. Just, just don't say anything at all. <laughs> or we could just say a lot and then the 400th one will be Europe. Yeah, we could. Well, we can still. Well, hopefully, the four hundredth one will be a European one. Our first Champions League game. <laughs> exactly, we'll be in in Europe again. That would mean. Um, well, we're going to be in Europe this season. Moises Caicedo isn't. He's completed his deal. Let's start off by talking about that. So we've got a British record transfer fee. The the Willy Wonty kind of British record element to it. When Liverpool put their bid in of one hundred and eleven million, it was then going to be a case of will Chelsea match the offer because ultimately the club were only going to accept Liverpool's offer. It was a bit awkward. And Paul Barber was talking to Talk Sport earlier this week. I had the uh, the clip posted to me. I think it might have been by Alan. Actually, I'm not sure. Anyway, it said. Um, that, you know, it put them in a rather difficult position because obviously then there's an awkward negotiating scenario, a really weird dynamic where uh, they're, they're insisting on the highest bid, but at the same time, Chelsea aren't necessarily going to pay that and they know that the player wants to leave. But in the end, uh, he did do. He said he grew up watching um, Makaleli and then N'Golo Kante uh, and those were his heroes. I think that's probably genuine, to be honest. could see why they'd be role models. Um, maybe similar upbringings in broad terms and also of course similar parts of the uh, pitch um and yeah it seems it was all about london the bizarre thing is lavia seems to be insisting on going to london over liverpool as well i mean i don't know if they've got any perceptions about liverpool i think it's more about the positive perceptions they seem to have of liverpool itself and i think for a certain generation chelsea was actually the more prominent name in terms of trophy winning wasn't it i guess for people of such a young age that we have to 
uh, we can easily forget these guys are. Um, so anyway, 115 mil was agreed. It's done. 100 million up front, 15 million in very achievable add-ons, which by all accounts are happening pretty soon into the equation, according to Andy Naylor. And on top of all that, um, we get a significant sell-on fee. What significant means, I don't know, but we must be talking 20 mil at least. I mean, uh, that would involve him going for, a, I mean, to get any sort of money out of that, though, that would involve him going for a insane amount of money. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get your, your opinions on that uh, right now. Um, before we do that, we do have one of those two aforementioned guests um, seems to be joining us. So um, I, at any point when he comes in, we have Raymond Wright, the gent. Hello, Raymond, if you're uh, able to hear us. If you're not, <laughs> don't think he can. He might be on in a minute. So let's go to you, Peter. Kai Sado, thoughts? I'm glad it's over, is my main thought. Glad we got a fantastic deal from it, frankly. Um, yeah, it's a shame that who, a player who will end up the best player probably ever to play for the club has behaved like an absolute arsehole, frankly. Um, yeah. He behaved extremely badly in January, putting up a social media post after demanding to leave to Arsenal. That was then his dream move at that point. I mean, so, you know, take that. I'm sure if uh, I'm sure if he'd gone to Arsenal, he'd talked about the Arsenal defensive midfield as he watched as a young player and dreamed of playing like instead. But <laughs> Patrick Vieira but, was a hero. Yeah, yeah. well, maybe yeah. Vieira might be too long ago for him given his age. But uh, yeah. someone more recently, you know, maybe. I don't know who there is. Maybe Granite Xhaka, he grew up dreaming of being. Uh, <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, oh, I think he's behaved, I think he's behaved appallingly, to be honest. Um, him and his agent between them have just, I mean, we, the club brought him to Europe. We took a chance with him. Yes, it's only five million, which isn't that much in the Premier League, but he, we, we, re- we risked, you know, brought him over. He might have been terrible. We didn't know. Obviously, he settled. He did really well. And, Within nine months of getting to the first team, he was demanding a move and like kind of threatening to not, you know, effectively not, play, you know, being kept out of the World Cup game because he was obviously not in the right mindset, as they put it, well, or being pushed away by the club. So it's like, well, obviously that didn't go well. Then like seemed to, you know, take it, you know, work really well and played really well for the season. And then from what we hear, he basically down tools in pre-season, refused to train after they got up from America. And yeah, it's disgusting behaviour. The way he he behaved when with Liverpool as well, I thought was pretty disgraceful. Liverpool have put in an offer. Chelsea obviously offered money to his agent or to it. And you, you see people like Romano, who obviously have got like connections with Chelsea where they get some sort of major benefit from them, pushing these stories as well. The whole thing's disgraceful. And to be honest, Casado would have been much better off with us this year than Chelsea in terms of actual football. But he went for the money and he went for the, and he went for that basically only. Um, he'd been much better off having a, a season in the Europa League. Seeing how you know doing well and then potentially getting a, tr- a truly big club rather than going to the mess that is Chelsea, who are uh, you know basically need to buy every expensive player but have no idea how to make them into a team. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's quite strong thoughts there, Peter, on that one. I'm, that, yeah, I'm, I'm not really that bothered, as you can tell. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to put the disclaimer in. Some of that might be what we, we're perceiving to hear. We don't, of course, know the finer details, but I have to agree with you on the, the social media thing in January. Now, I know that, that there's widely been described as being the agent that was doing that, but you have to take some responsibility. Yeah, exactly. His agent was hired by him recently before that as well so presumably he wanted a move of some sort at that point yeah i think he was pushing for the move wasn't he and you know if if he wasn't happy with that behavior by the agent he can easily make a statement he's just got to put a brief statement out through the club if he wants to exactly and say it wasn't me i 
and just get rid of the Asians as well, whereas he kept him, and then they were behaving the same way in the summer. Yeah. yeah, it's probably a bit stronger than most people think, but it just annoys me that these... I don't mind that players want to move. McAllister wants to move, but I have no issue with that. I will applaud him when he comes back to the football game. And he went for a lot less, ironically, in the end. You know, we didn't get value for him, arguably, even with the 55 million that we're going to get eventually. Yeah. And it, but it's he, he handled it right. He did the right things. And he never was, he never was, you know, asked me about the club in public. He never refused to play. He just went about his business. Even once he came out for the World Cup, he was really keen. Unlike players like Trossard, who barely tried after the World Cup, or Sanchez, who down tools. I mean, Chelsea have now got three of our former players, all of whom will probably get a bad reception when they come back because they've all behaved pretty badly at one point or other. Yeah, well, I mean, it was pretty early into his time that he's left. So I think the time is when the time is. And Kukurea was a similar time length, wasn't it, really? Uh, it was only a bit longer that Moises was with us. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pose the question, will we boo him later on? We'll come to that at the end of this discussion on this particular matter. But Alan, let's go to you next. Uh, your thoughts on it? Uh, I think I've been doing a lot of reflection on this, actually. And uh, I mean, at the time, you know, on the WhatsApp group, I was getting a little bit wound up by some of the... Uh, social media stuff but that's what it was actually when you think about it i mean you know we can kind of uh speculate that he was coming out of his mouth well i don't think i actually ever saw anything that was coming out of his mouth directly to say the things that maybe we think uh and i would say that obviously you know something happened in january but when he actually got back into the team he actually performed very well he was fantastic for us and if you think about it he did indicate that he wanted to leave and it's and in a way you could argue and say, well, is is it his fault that yes, we knew he was going to go. It's not his fault that the Albion strung it out to get the best price. Yeah. At the end of the day, it, it went on as long as it did because we wanted to secure the highest price because we yeah. could have we could have just maybe a few years ago we would have settled for something less, but we're the ones who actually strung it out. Yeah. So we, we, uh, well, yeah, that's true, but that's that's yeah. also. On Chelsea. I wouldn't agree with that, yeah. With Chelsea yeah. knew our, or Chelsea would have known probably what sort of price we're looking for. Yeah, but that's, Chelsea, but, 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 that, but that's Chelsea, that's not, that's not Kaiseido. I'm just, I'm really just oh, trying yeah. to yeah, deal with, yeah. deal with the, the, the Kaiseido. They, they no. just didn't bid the right amount. Yeah, yeah but, I mean, that's all... the, that, but that's not Kaiseido. That's, that's basically between the two clubs and, and he could, he could point the fingers as much to Chelsea for yeah. mucking all... around with this think, than all... to us, but. All so, three people got what they wanted in the end, didn't they? I mean, he wanted a yeah. move. Chelsea wanted him, albeit they had to pay more than they wanted. And we, we got a good value. So we all got something out of it. But yeah. sorry, yeah, Alan, back to you, sorry. Yeah, so I think I think at the end of the day, as you say, we've got, we've got a, 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 a fantastic fee. Uh, a fee that kind of recognises, if you like, the fact that it's a, a record, it recognises how good he is. Uh, for everybody to see. So, and I think he'll do really well at Chelsea, to be honest with you. I think he'll do really well wherever he goes, to be honest with you. He will. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you if you look at the, the way he plays, uh, how good he is, he's not the type of player who who will go into a new system and struggle to fit in to the new system. I think he will just do what he does mm. and he'll do it well. So I think Chelsea, uh, you know, they're going to do well with him, I think. So, yeah, I think uh, I think it recognises his the, the enormity of his potential and his youth, um, and it's, it's scaled up. So some of that is, is is future projection, isn't it? I think that fee it's gone beyond what the club probably would have accepted. By all accounts, we might have accepted about hundred mil in the first place. It ended up going to one hundred and fifteen, of course, because of Liverpool's involvement yeah. uh, and the complications that ensued. But yeah. I think the one one five in the end won't look 
ridiculous to anyone that thinks it is now because he will go on to be more and more valuable. And we've seen how quickly inflation is Mm -hmm. rising with player fees um, all the time we're talking. You know, Lavia was going to be 30 to 40 mil, now it's 60 mil. I think that's way over the top for him, but there we go. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's all relative in time. That might not look like a bad fee, just as um, they were talking about Bellingham. Bellingham's yep. feed is quite a bargain now compared with, for example, Declan Rice and how much was paid for him. Anyway, we are now joined by Raymond Wright, the gent as well. Welcome to the pod, Raymond. Uh, how are you, first of all, very briefly? Well, I'm fine, um, Russell. Thank you very much. Um, uh, managed to sort out things with Virgin. So um, as you would have realised, it's a, a new box problem. Apparently, every now and again, they reboot something. They don't warn you they might do it with a new box. So... Yeah. Um, anyway, sorted. Yes, I was going to say uh, briefly. Uh, I, was, uh, I knew you were going to mention Virgin if I didn't say briefly, but you still mentioned. Yeah, Virgin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad. I'm glad you got your Virgin sorted out. So. <laughs> but, yeah. Absolutely. Um, they, just a couple of comments, which are sort of slightly left field. Before commenting directly, um, why on earth is social media called social re- media? Because as far as I can make out, it's. Bloody antisocial. It's yeah. everything but social media. And I think it's very dangerous. And I think a new term for it needs to be invented. I don't know what it is, but it actually should be called dangerous media or uh, uncontrolled media, something which actually flags up how dangerous and unreliable it is. Mm-hmm. Perhaps there's a new word. Well, all the, all the social media companies are rebranding, so why not rebrand the terminology? Yeah, good point. Okay, yeah. And you I, mean, I think, I mean, certainly, uh, uh, best it's anti-social media, but it's so dangerous in, in, in so many um, levels. Um, hmm. So I think, from, you know, from that viewpoint, I do think that the agent behaved badly. There, there does appear to be uh, reports, a thread, that they indicated to Liverpool that Casido would be interested in going there. Now, um, if that were the case, and then for Casido, immediately they've made an offer to turn around and say, I'm not going, um, was, you know, I think disgusting. I mean, using Peter's word, I would apply disgusting to that. I mean, them saying that they weren't interested in going, if there hadn't been any come on, I could understand but where, if there has been, I think to do that is ridiculous. I have to say my eternal gratitude to Liverpool um, for actually calling Chelsea's bluff over um, trying to uh, get Casino on the cheap. And don't forget that last January, um, Chelsea's initial bid was £55 million. People keep talking about their first bid this time being £60 million which was stupid given Arsenal had uh, bid £70 million being turned down. But they actually started at £55 million, less than, um, well, just over sort of seven months ago. So uh, they've ended up paying more than double their first bill, their, their first bid. So I, I feel that Casido has been extremely naive in how he's let his agents dictate things. Um I think he is young, and it is actually one of the reasons that, until relatively recently, people didn't get the vote in this country for one until they were 21. I know he is now 21. But I think quite often people, some people are mature when they're younger, but I think a lot of people aren't at 21. 
and perhaps are intimidated by their agents perhaps a little bit or easily led by them. I'm not sure what the right expression is. And I think Casino falls file of that. I notice that Ian Wright doesn't think that Casino is uh, going to find it that easy playing at Chelsea. Not that he isn't a good player, but that he actually thinks that it, it might not be have been the best fit for him. He would have been better off at, at other clubs. Because Chelsea is a, a bit of a basket case, isn't it, with its, uh, its recruitment policy and having a whole a lot of Galiticos who won't necessarily fit into a system. Uh, Peter, yeah, you wanted to come on. Yeah, around. actually, I was going to say one other thing, but to pick a pick up on that, I completely agree. Liverpool had a very clear gap in their team that he was going to fit perfectly into. Chelsea don't really know what on earth they're doing, I don't think. They have an awful lot of extremely expensive players who aren't a team, and they just seem to have been collecting the most expensive players around. And that's not the way to build a team. So I actually completely agree with what you're saying there, Raymond, and what Ian Wright, you said, said. Liverpool, to me, would have been a perfect fit because they lack a defensive midfielder and he would have been the perfect option for that. And he'd have playing, been playing alongside McAllister as well, who he played so well with for us. So he'd have been perfect. My other point is, I don't necessarily... So there's been a lot of debate about whether he's, you know, naive or whatever sort of thing. I said earlier, I don't... I think he knew exactly what he was doing, but he's happy for the agent to get the blame. That's me. I mean, he's, he brought these agents in literally before last January, then suddenly pushed for a move. That's not coincidence. That is him wanting to move and wanting agents who will push for it. And so he can sit behind it and pretend it isn't him. It's not, you know, his, you know, it was his social media account that was the one who put it out. Yes, it probably was the agent who wrote it. But why change your, your, your if you're not intending to move in January, why change your agent? Why move agents? I think he knew exactly what he was doing and wanted to move and wanted a bigger move and thought he could get more money elsewhere. Because at that point, obviously, he was paid like £2.50 a week. And... <laughs> I don't think these footballers are particularly naive. I think they know exactly what they're doing. They just want more money a lot of the time. And I think people are <laughs> underestimating Casado. He he knew exactly what he's doing and he's got his big money move. And, you know, good luck to him. If we, I want us to get the £15 million extra. After that, frankly, at Chelsea, I hope he fails because I don't want that club to do well because of the way they've behaved over the last year and a half. <laughs> I mean, Peter, Peter, if I could just make a quick comment before Alan does. Isn't this a bit cause and effect? I mean, to what extent I don't, don't think Casino had a particular agent before the agent was appointed. I think it was sort of family. And I think we possibly encouraged him to get a proper agent so he was properly advised. But to what extent did the agent want the move? Because he'd inherited Casino, hadn't actually uh, negotiated the deal, any deal with Brighton. So the first thing he does, all right, they sign a new deal so he gets something from that. But how much was this the agent wanting quickly to get a gravy train from Casido and destabilising him from day one. Yeah, but there was, but there was, but there was a, there was an article. Uh, I think there was a, a, a journalist went over to uh, Ecuador very recently to uh, to look into things, and um, he said that the Independiente, I forget what the name of the club is. Sorry. Uh, that that Kaisala came from. I mean, basically, that that is a a, a business which is run by a, a number of businessmen. They've got to set up this kind of uh, football club with this kind of uh, set, uh, academy uh, set up. So, 
I would imagine that they were they were pressing maybe they need they wanted some money. I mean, basically they they're getting something like uh, twenty three million million pounds from this this sale. So uh, I'm sure they're quite happy to get that at this stage. I don't think they'd have any impact on what Casado chooses to do if he didn't want to do it. He wouldn't like move this thing up oh, rather than know. next. He'd be know. like saying, so, well, you know, in a year anyway. I don't think they'd have, once he's left, surely they wouldn't have any impact on him. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, Peter. I mean, he was over there in the summertime for his holidays, back to his hometown. Oh, yeah, but I mean, it was always yeah. like he was always going to go there for massive money, wasn't yeah. it? It wasn't like it was this summer or nothing. You yeah. know, he was always going to go in the next few years for, you know, mm-hmm. either next summer or next summer, you could argue he could have got him for even more because he would have played in Europe at that point. Yeah. I'm, I'm disappointed he's gone. I think I think it would have been better for him to stay for another year, but he's gone now, and uh, let's close the book on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree yeah. completely. I just don't like the way it was handled no. generally. I don't like players, people who get paid a lot of money to do something that most people would dream of doing as a job should never down tools and refuse to train or refuse to play. In my view, and it's yeah, and we've had a few recently, and it really annoys me. Trossard effectively did. He hardly he didn't seem to try in the games we played. Sanchez did do for matches. Kukurea and Casado did in pre-season. So I don't understand. Are we just like moving to the point where we've got these good, much better players and so they're attracting the big six and they're going to behave like dickheads to get moves in the future? Is this going to be a permanent feature? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Sorry, I think incidentally, I mean, what do you think about Chelsea going over... After Aliz, I don't know how you pronounce it. Say. Hmm. The, um, the the Palace winger, because they spent ninety million on the on the Ukrainian guy, and again buy yet another uh, well, another they, winger. They, they simply don't know what they want, do they? Really, I think is the problem there. And I, I don't know how much Pochettino is having input into the transfers now he's there, but it seems to me that the main person making decisions in terms of you know, for for the for the playing side of things, is Bowley, and that's never healthy. Um, obviously, you you know he's got a he's got to sign things off, but it seems that he's dictating the moves. That's yeah. my impression from the outside looking in. Uh, we'll yeah, see how definitely. it comes out with him and Pochettino, but especially seeing as he was talking about playing four four three as his dream formation last year. Yeah, yeah, mm, a lot of wingers for that, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I meant more. He's obviously not bothered about goalkeepers. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah. It would be it would be good to maybe you know, get Kieran Maguire sometime on the show maybe or something just to talk it through because I, I really just, it baffles me. I mean mm. I'm just hearing all this stuff where they're saying well because they're amortising the the fee over spreading over five or six years they're able to keep within the FFP rules but they're spending huge amounts of money. I mean you know how are they actually what, how are they earning that kind of revenue it just doesn't make yeah. sense to me personally I just it's it's weird. Yeah I agree and, it, and surely that means on that basis you're talking about that side. Does that mean you're not going to spend anything in the next few years at other windows? Because they're clearly not going to do that either. So how are they going to – you can't keep amortising the money because eventually you'll have so much amortised money from other years that you'll not be able to spend anything this year. Yeah. It just seems flawed. And, I mean, I think they're probably banking on the fact that they can't – the FFP brawls are a joke and no one actually adheres to them. Well, yeah, the this is the thing. I think the problem with it is, um, UEFA and FIFA have, have, have applied this, um, or UEFA have applied it to their to their international competitions, haven't they? This five year amortisation maximum, and that and the Premier League. I don't know why. Whether there's a, a legal reason they couldn't do it so quickly, or some other fancy, I don't know. But they haven't 
adopted that themselves. And as such, Chelsea are able to get around the rules based on the, for them in this regard, happy coincidence that they're not involved in Europe. If they were, they wouldn't be able to do it. Um, over the long term, it's, it can't work. Eventually, that's going to catch up with them. But obviously, Bowley's just thinking into the short to, to very early medium term. And it's madness. He's spent, according to Sky's um, stats, he's, he spent £887.6 million, nearly a billion pounds on players. And apparently, some... their money they've given us is about the seventh highest spend since yeah. the yeah. start of last summer. Which is insane. Something. I would just to quickly go through the list. It's it's Sterling, um, Solina, uh, Casa Day. I don't even know who that is. Badashvil, um, uh, Madueko, Morgan, Matos, Gabriel. Uh, uh, what's that? Ugu Chukwu. I think it's pronounced, isn't it? Kulibali, uh, Chukwuoneke, Fafana, Santos, Mudrik, Gusto, Jackson, Morena, Sanchez, of course, from us. Hutchinson, Kukurea from us. Abamyang, Fafana, uh, the other the other Fafana. Fernandez, of course, which is the huge spend, uh, Nkunku, um, Samuel Smith, De Sassi, and Caicedo. Um, and I don't know, yeah, Jackson is on that list. Um, so, I mean, that's a huge number. As you'll know from that list, some of those have already been sold on. Um, well, Fafana, for example, was linked with us, wasn't he? The, the striker one. And it seems was, to be one that, that we was on our list and then win Stanley Nicks. And he's already, I mean, he's got a really good loan deal. He's gone to Uni, Union Berlin, but he's probably never going to get any game time at Chelsea. So yeah. it's like, well, you should have done, you should have come to us. You'd have done much better to come to us in the first place. Yeah, exactly. But these people know better, don't they? Mm. <laughs> um, it's it's frustrating that they're getting away with it because it's Saudi money, and of course, it's partly owned by uh, Saudi, isn't it? Um, Chelsea, so they're able to get away with. I don't know how happy the timing is, coincidental or not, but obviously they've got the benefit of having Saudi interests and therefore they're, they're getting players that are really not worth it, on, or at least not on the contracts they're on, going out on contracts the, to the only place where someone can sign them and fulfil that wage demands that those players are on already um, and get handsome fees. In some cases, I think very good fees, good good for them, not good for the rest of us. I wanted Ch- Chelsea to to feel the uh, the pinch of what they've done, but they're getting away with it so far. Again, into the long term, I'm not sure how far they can do that. But anyway, we better move on the subject. But um, just finally, hey, can I on, on that? Okay, Roman, quickly gone. Yeah. So on the amortisation, reading an article in the Telegraph yesterday, it appears that when they get into Europe, those amortisation rules then apply to them. So they might have a free hit this season, but if they get in next season that they can't then keep amortising at the same rate. They come under the five-year rule. Now, I don't know if that's correct, and I think... So I think it is, because that's UEFA's rules now. That's that's the rules yeah. UEFA have, but they must be thinking about it, worrying about it next summer, I suppose. I mean, it, I, I'd imagine they, if they've already got existing deals, they can get away with it. But then if yeah, you've meditated so. that, I'm not sure, but I bet they I bet they can get away with it. Um, but from, from next season onwards, they're going to be in Europe. So they're not going to be able to do that, are they, for, for for any new deals? So I don't know how much this is just cashing in, as it were, while they still can do. I don't know. But anyway, very very briefly on the casino thing to wrap up. Then going to boo him when we play him, Peter. It sounds like you might do. No, I'm I'm not no, actually. I'm, I'm going to just now. ignore him and not bother. <laughs> Turn your back but, no, I genuinely am not that. It's just not really worth it. But no. I do feel that he'll get a, a pretty hostile reception. I think I just don't. It just saddens me that he is probably will always be the best player to ever play for us. And he and he's 
moved in that set in that way. It's yeah, just yeah, it's a shame. I feel the yeah. same about Kukureya. I didn't really boo him as such, although I booed Chelsea generically when we played them, but not not him in particular. Certainly not so that's the way some people identified him amongst others. Inevitably, people will. There's a lot of people. But people will, yeah, because they did for Kukureya as well. Yeah, they will do. Uh, so, Alan, <laughs> it sounds like you you won't do either. I have no. to say, say, I mean, the difference between McAllister and Casido, I mean, I'm sad that McAllister went, but I thought he behaved in an exemplary fashion yeah. the whole way he did it. Obviously, his father, being an ex-footballer, international footballer, has advised him, does advise him, and make sure he behaves. And that pass he, he did to set up Liverpool's goal you know, was top class. He's dropped into it. His whole attitude of having signed to Liverpool was he wanted to get there and start pre-season early. I mean, it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? Somebody like Casino coming from a background of no wealth or anything, and one has to you know, obviously say well done to Casino to bankrolling his family um, and extended family. But I mean, McAllister, I just think his whole way of departing was very good to say how much Brighton would always mean to him, etc., etc. And, uh, you know, absolutely the type of footballer one would want to sign and an ideal world keep. Yeah. I mean, in, in, obviously there's a language barrier, but he, there's not really been anything from Moises, has there much? He, has, he has put out a post saying, in, oh, in the interest of fairness, he has put out something okay. saying Brighton's brilliant for him and he'd always get yeah, yeah, Brighton okay. a special place. It just feels a little bit hollow when you've basically refused to train for the last week and a half, two weeks, effectively, and behave like that. So, whereas, yeah. And the irony is, McAllister went for... I mean, Casado went for more than value, probably, whereas McAllister went under value because of the way his agents basically worked out the, the release clause and stuff. And yet, he's going to be given a rousing reception when we get to the Amex, and, and Casado will get ignored at best, I think, probably. There'll be a few people yeah. applaud him. Most mm. people will ignore him, and there'll be some who boo him. And yeah. it's, it's ironic, isn't it, that... The, the player who brought in a fee that was double what McAllister's could be is the one who's going to get abuse. But it's solely because of the way they behaved. And McAllister was exemplary. And he came back from the World Cup, played at Middlesbrough away coming on. And you think, well, he just like strut around and not be that bothered. Instead, he put like, he, he you know, did so much and scored two goals. And, you know, he, he literally, he couldn't ask for any more for something McAllister. I really hope he does well at Liverpool. And I really hope they come well above Chelsea this season because it'd be really oh, fun. Yeah. So do yeah. I. Can't stand but, Chelsea. Uh, Raymond, are you going to boo Casado? I'm going to throw <laughs> hot toffee at him or anything. No, I won't boo because I think he, you know, he is certainly up there with Lawrence as far as I'm concerned in terms of of, of paper of players. And yeah. one saw on Saturday how much we moved that missed the dynamism, the physicality, the go forward from both McAllister and uh, Casado. And actually, funnily enough, I could see the impact. Magasa had in a positive sense on um, Liverpool and the the mess in midfield that that Chelsea had. Yeah, both um, teams needed him, didn't they? It was it was evident that's exactly what both teams needed. He did also it say um, that um, his dream would be to play for Real Madrid. Apparently, someone in the in the media, the main media, has said uh, apparently he was quoted as saying that. Um, I think it was a while ago, a few months ago, um, maybe before his time with Brighton, actually, I'm not sure when. Um, and I, I predict that's the only place I could see him leaving Chelsea to go to now. He's on an eight-year deal with a year's option. I predict in seven years' time, eight max, he'll move in his late 20s to, to Real Madrid for a final uh, payout and the final 
leg of his uh, ascent to the top as he sees it. Um, it's the glamour team for the sort of shallower elements of the new generation, isn't it? I guess the place to go. Not that I'm having a dig at Real Madrid, who I can't stand. You are. I can't stand Chelsea. <laughs> um, well, I, I, hopefully we get a nice sell-on. Well, exactly. And that would How about a scenario where uh, Real Madrid with Casido uh, in the Champions League final playing Brighton? <laughs> I think that's delusion there, Raymond. <laughs> There's no way we're, there's no way uh, Real Madrid to get get against the final with Caicedo. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, I mentioned on the the tail end of the last podcast, at the end of the match day special, that uh, the one that seems the best to me from what I've been reading up on possible replacements, if we are coming in with a direct replacement for him, is Lucas Guna Duath, who's at RB Salzburg. Sounds like the nearest likeness to him as a player in terms of style, albeit doesn't doesn't look anything like him, but plays the same way. Um, there are other people that are being mentioned. One or two seem to have already moved on elsewhere. And it does also seem that the latest fashion is for everybody, one of the so-called big clubs, is being linked with anyone we're being linked with now. Surprise, surprise. As people seem to be picking up on the notion that it might be good to focus on our targets as much as their um, already preconceived own targets. Um well, we'll we'll see what happens. I think I think we we still we're discreet enough and we go in low low key enough that we could probably still get one of our top targets. I think well, you... the only people these people can sign it more apart from Chelsea, who seem to still be signing everyone all the time. But, but as I as I put on the on the Sol site earlier today, what extent can we actually find some real dross, make out that we're interested in the real dross, yeah. and get. Get people to buy up all the real dross and waste all that money. <laughs> we could use Fabrizio Romano to spread the rumours, couldn't we? Yeah, I think he gets paid enough already, doesn't he? Um, uh, also, actually, one one final thing on that on um, on Casado, actually, which I forgot to mention. I think we may have mentioned it on the pod. I'm not sure, but Seagull's boss uh, Roberto Di Zerbi gave his thoughts at BBC um, uh, Sports Site. On the transfer saga, saga before uh, Brighton took on Luton in their opening game, he said, I've already forgotten about Moises, um, saying, I'm really proud of the players we have in the squad. We want to keep improving. The credit goes to the club. Bigger clubs can buy our players, but they can't buy our soul or spirit. We are Brighton. We achieved a big target last year, the same as Liverpool, better than Chelsea. I would like the players who are proud to play uh, in Brighton. I think I love those sentiments. I love mm. the dig at Chelsea there as well. And also the fact that um, he, he's got the balls, the big balls, to say, I've forgotten Caicedo already, which was an indicator, obviously, that he was washing his hands of the affair. He knew he was on his way out uh, for, yeah. for certain at the time. Plus, of course, it's it's a signal to give to the other players, isn't it? We don't need him now. Boom, that's fine. We're moving on. And, you know, we've started the season well, haven't we, with that win, which we'll get on to in uh, the next subject. Um, we'll have a quick break there. Part two, we'll do talk about that Luton game, and there's one or two other little points to mention as well. And so to part two, where we're going to talk about the Luton game in a moment. But before we do, I'm, I'm of course, being very sensible and not drinking any beer because I don't do that sort of thing. Um, but Raymond and Peter are, are necking it away. I mean, Raymond, you look like you were down in one in one there for a moment. Well, uh, what you not want? quite, but it is you know, the best Sussex beer, Harvey's, um, and it happens to be that IPA I'm drinking uh, this evening. So uh, here's the Harvey's and I'll have a, take another sip and uh, great beer. And of course, you can 
sort of get it at the Amex. And it's in an Albion embossed tankard, we can tell you as well, <laughs> listeners. And Peter, what have you got there? I have the uh, L Faking Project Presents Dobler Session IPA. I love wordy IPA names, they're great, aren't they? <laughs> Definitely Just not my... a recent uh, Beer 52 kind of uh, order. Very nice, oh, actually. Yeah. Not at I all. Wanted, I wanted a beer to mark, uh, a new beer to mark the uh, 300th episode so I could yeah. uh, tag it on untapped. Well, I thought you were going to drink 300 beers to mark the episode. I thought that, that wouldn't be surprised knowing you. Um, Alan, you're being sensible. No, excuse right? me. I think pots and kettles coming out here. <laughs> I don't know what you mean, sir. I, I was um, sensible as always on Saturday. Um, Alan, are you? What are you? Yeah, doing? yeah I'm just. Having, I'm having a very simple uh, brew dog pump punk. So I'm yeah. the old one out here. I love yeah, this. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I'm the only Mister <laughs> Sensible in the room. I like that. Right. Okay. Moving on. Uh, before we get on to the Luton game, there's one, one or two other bits to mention actually from the uh, from the world of um, the EFL. Um, to, um, have you heard about the Swindon Town player? Uh, Udoko Godwin Malife's um, viral um, dressing room song, you know, his initiation thing. I don't know, as, as everyone knows, they have initiation ceremonies. You have to sing something that's supposedly vaguely embarrassing to do in front of a group full of lads. Um, but he'd stood up and did um, a John Legend song, um, All of Me, um, and he was pretty good with the singing. No laughs were had at all. I think everyone just went a bit silent for a while. He did the whole song, and it was pretty good. I reckon he can get a record contract once his uh, football playing days are over. Um, amazing stuff. Um, and apparently the, um, John Legend himself uh, has gone online and said he liked it. Um, and apparently um, the player is really humbled by the reaction from John Legend. So interesting stuff there. Um, he's a newest offender for Swindon, 23-year-old. Um, he scored as well at the weekend, just to crown it all off. So not bad. Anything else from the world of the EFL quickly that we want to talk about? I'm Peter, well, you're itching. To I think a just a, a, as a piece of sort of side thing, um, yeah, England, which we saw, of course, Russell, is now transferring to the West End. Ah, there you go. See, we, we're on the nose, aren't we, Raymond, for a good a good new production? Definitely. Uh, yes. Oh, good to hear. That's the uh, the play about Gareth Southgate's period as, or briefly as player, but mainly as manager and coach of uh, the England team. Uh, Peter, uh, any anything you'd like to have a dig at uh, from the EFL? Well, you know, just entertaining this uh well the two links so my obviously my two big bugbears have now left the uh the left the left the Premier League and Harry Kane's obviously now in Munich and uh Leeds who are who are um had not had the greatest start of the season the late equaliser against Cardiff followed by a come from behind win against Shrewsbury in the League Cup and now a one little feet at Birmingham so they're sitting they're sitting sixth bottom in the in the championship I think it is. <laughs> and uh, Sheffield Wednesday, one of the teams below them. So, you know, two of my favourite teams. It's very entertaining. And Middlesbrough as well. So, all in all, what more could you want? Middlesbrough bottom. Yeah, they've got got off to excellently bad starts, haven't they, all of them? Which is, which is yeah. good to see. It's not been a great start for Northern teams, but the bottom six are Leeds, Rotherham, Sunderland, Sheffield Wednesday, Huddersfield and Middlesbrough. Mm-hmm. So. But Borough, Borough have just lost uh, Akpon to Ajax. Yeah. That must have been a bizarre side of the season, given yeah. how shit he was when he played for us briefly. <laughs> Ten million quid as well. Yeah, but I mean, but I mean, he, I mean, how he only went to Ajax for something like twelve million, um, you know, surprises me. Frankly, I was surprised that you know, other people, you know, some of the lower sort of Premier League teams, you know, hadn't come in for him. Well, I think it's one really good season last year. I mean, he couldn't stop scoring, especially at home. 
I guess maybe there's a bit, there's a bit of caginess with the fact it's just one season and people are worried. And if you look at Gilkeres, who went to Sporting, they're not being signed by English clubs. I think they're they're a bit wary because it's only one season of full full on impressiveness. Mm-hmm. Coupled with the fact that you pay over the odds for English players or English base players, at least, um, so maybe that's something to do with it. But it's a curious move. We could be up against him uh, this coming European campaign, couldn't we? I think uh, they're in the equation. Yeah, they've got to get past um, the winner of uh, Astana and uh, Ludogorets. I think it is. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk more about uh, the European um, developments as well a little bit later on. And the one one point I was going to make from the EFL, by the way, Ipswich top with a maximum points from two games and a plus three goal difference, and Plymouth with four points out of six. Um, brilliant start to both of those clubs. Both clubs I quite like actually, and was pleased to see not only finish above Sheffield Wednesday to give them the stress of the playoffs, but also um, I think they're overdue coming back up. And mm. fair play to them. Decent. I think decent. we said a couple of pods ago, didn't we? We thought they'd both do well this season. Yeah. That's proving it so far. Incidentally, Warnock, who's the most successful manager in championship history, mainly because he's probably spent more years in that division and happens to be quite good at promotions. I think he's had seven promotions, is it? Who were um, there? One of them. Second bottom, second bottom as, as you mentioned, the Northern Clubs. Um, second bottom, zero points from two games. I think it's maybe a, a, a step too far. I think that he's got very limited resources there, and I wonder how he might do, and also how Roy Hodgson might do in the, the Palace. Who knows? He, I think he'll Especially probably. Especially since they seem to be losing a player every week at the moment. Yeah, well, there's only so much they can Drew do. Drew was a decurator today, as well as um, Elise. Yeah. But a good away win for um, Ainsworth, his beloved yeah. QPR. They're off the mark, at least. Um, anyway, that's that's that. Anything yeah. else in the NFL? Yeah, uh, if I could just mention Wigan. I mean, Wigan actually have started quite well. They've won two games, drawn the third. And they're on minus one point or two yes, points. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah minus, minus two. Yeah, they're, exactly. Yeah, they had the eight point deduction, but they have started with a purpose, and I think they'll do quite well. They've got Charlie White there as well, haven't they? Charlie White. Yeah. How, are we, how are we missing it, by the way? Um, just to say, non league, Barnet are second, having let us three goal leads slip at FEC last night, but Worthing are top, aren't they? Indeed. And yes, they are. They were inspired by a co commentator last yeah. night. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know I do who that was, but um, yeah, they've they've got nine points out of nine. They briefly lost top spot without playing uh, on Monday night when the team played their their game earlier than the rest of the fixtures. But Worthing bounced back with a resounding four one win away at um at Slough, who look an impressive side actually. I think they looking at the game. I thought they they look like they've got a really good build up there. Um, they'll be comfortably mid-table. I think they've had a bad start to the season, but they, they were a tricky team to play, and Worthing really, uh, really do look impressive so far. I like the new kit as well, slightly better kit, I think, this year. Um, and, I mean, a brilliant start to the season, isn't it? They've got eight goals in three games. And, um, yeah, look, nice stadium there at Slough as well, so it's a, it's a good um, day out, that one, isn't it? That's pretty good. You should get over there, Peter, I reckon. I recommend that one at some point. Anyway, that's enough about Worthing. Other than to say, yeah, the co-coms were superb. Um, yeah, as I said, no idea. Yeah, the rumour I heard was the commentator was dreadful, but the co-coms were just made it. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that would be exactly right, yeah. <laughs> I may have said it from you, though, in fairness. Oh, that's so. right, yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say, there's a few ex-Albion players um, getting on the score sheet. James Tilly, I think, is at Wimbledon now, and he's uh, he banged one in the top Two four. goals. Two goals. Really good. Oh, two goals at yeah. Yeah, last night, yeah. Oh, last um, night, yeah. This was against the weekend. Uh, I was thinking actually against Wrexham, but he scored again, did he? Right. Yeah, and uh, he got both. And uh, the other thing it was, uh, of course, they've dumped Coventry out of the League Cup. 
Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which was a hell of a result. And that's just reminded me to check on my betting account because I put a couple of accumulators on the games last night and I haven't even checked. I might be a millionaire. Okay, maybe not a millionaire. And in fact, I'm not anything other than... A tenaire. Uh, about 10 quid <laughs> down. <laughs> anyway, that's enough about that. Right, so that's about the EFL. Any, any other points on the EFL or should we get on to the Luton game? Connolly Let's scored. Let's the game. Yes, oh yes, Connolly scored. We should mention that as well uh, for Hull. It was an opportunist goal. It was a terrible defensive error. Uh, it was just a poacher's goal, but, you know, stick them away when you can. Absolutely. I also saw that Watford fans were singing the Alpedro's name when he scored at the weekend because he'd scored against Luton. <laughs> they found it very entertaining. <laughs> Yeah, take matters even more. He got, of course, resoundly booed as we, uh, as predicted by our Luton contributor um, for the preseason pod. Um, yeah, I mean that was um, I, I'm not a surprise at all. It's just I, I, from his point of view, he's probably disappointed he couldn't score in front of them though, rather than at the other end later on in the game. Well, uh, he really should that. have done. As we're going to get into in a minute. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, well, let, let, yeah, exactly. That was a terrible miss. Let's talk about it then. So the Luton match. Um, it finished four one. Uh, we went two 0 up. They pulled one back. We went went to four one in the end. Um, yeah, b- big crowd as usual. Um, Luton were out in a good voice, to be honest, as you'd imagine they would be. Their first season in the top flight for a, for a good thirty was it thirty one years. Their yep. first season, therefore, in the Premier League era. And um, I thought they worked hard. They looked pretty well organised, gave a good fist of it. But unfortunately, I think they came up against an Albion side who had hit the ground running following a pretty sharpened, um, albeit short, um, pre-season, I thought. Um, just to go through it, I mean, the um, we'll go through the, the game in detail a bit more. But I thought um, the goals, obviously, you know, João Pedro should have scored near the beginning. But the, the goals when they did come, a solid march header, interestingly. Then João Pedro won and converted a penalty. Um, we were then conceded a rather questionable penalty. We'll talk about that in detail in a minute. I mean, there's so more... penalty as well. Well, I'm, I'm going to argue with you on that one in a minute, actually. But um, Carlton Morris buried theirs. And then, of course, later in the game, the subs, Adingra and Fergie got on the score sheet. So two debut goals there, uh, Pedro and Adingra. Um, let's take it through then. Um, we'll, we'll just go through in chronological order. So a Dahoud, Shimmy and Cross for Donkey's head over was the first incident of the game. Grosh to Pedro after an interception and first phase attack. Purvis then got a booking quite cheaply, I thought. Um, Welbeck had a dipping drive from range. And Luton then took um, look, looked adventurous without having an edge. But um, on one of their attacks, Dunkey had that chest back to the goalie. He's done that before, hasn't he? He looks very confident doing it. Slightly nerve-wracking, but he does carry it off pretty well. Albion pressure then ensued. Um, th- there was... Um, Free kick blocked, I think, from Solly. Then Purvis had a shot that led to a corner. From that, a cross eventually goes just wide from Pascal. Quick throw leads to Welbeck having a shot on the angle. A dangerous cross from the right just to Luton Panzer for Luton in a, one of their more rare attacks. And then Dahoud had a shot well over. Um, then we had Purvis to Kaoru to Drow, a slick move with a good shot and save from just out, uh, just offside. And then Kaoru over over from the edge of the area with a shot as well. Plenty of action, lots going on. Most of it at the uh, Luton end of the pitch as we are joined by a cat hugging Peter, <laughs> who looks the same size as you, Peter. He looks uh, he he looks human size. That cat. He is um, actually cat. Yeah, he is actually human size. <laughs> <laughs> Macamba had a shot drilled wide. That was all the stuff that happened in the lead up to the goal. So let's let's talk about the goal then. The first goal: Dahoud to Matoma times two. Then led to Holly, uh, to Holly, sorry, to Solly 
heading in from Mittermer's Cross. Um, maybe a collector's item, you could say, although he's Absolutely. done it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He did it. Was it against Grimsby? Yeah, Grimsby, yeah. Yeah, yeah diving header, yeah. I'm not sure if he's ever done it before that. But um, anyway, thoughts on the first goal. Um, who wants to go first on that one? I'll go, I'll go first. I mean, I thought it was a really good ball from Dahoud in the first place for Seps, uh, Mittimer away, and then they worked it well. It was a really good cross. I thought Mittimer actually the first hour, the guy, the fullback when he was on Kabore had the better of him a lot of the time. But this time he managed to get a little bit of room and that's all he needs. It was a brilliant cross. And yeah, Solly did really well. Actually, It wasn't as easy as it looked. It was kind of a little bit awkward. It was a bit awkward position. He kind of had to head it back across the keeper. So it was a good finish. And yeah, it, he was... The defender didn't do very well. They should not leave someone that unmarked when you're a centre-back and they're a winner. So mm-hmm. you should not be in a position to do that. But I think Luton will have, well, you'd hope, given if you have any <laughs> chance of staying up, they'll learn a lot from those mistakes that they've made this weekend. Yeah. Things that you well, probably can get away with in the Championship to a degree, but not in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, Alan, there was a lot of talk about the naivety, wasn't there, of Luton? And we'll talk about it in relation to the other incidents in a minute. But, um, yeah, they were guilty of naivety, maybe getting caught too much, too many numbers upfield too often on transitions, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And a little bit of just naivety with marking and defensive errors at the back, didn't they? Uh, and, yeah, uh, from a defensive point of view, probably could have done something about that goal, couldn't they? Yeah, I think I think uh, I mean I'm not going to say too much about the goal. I mean, my my observation really in the first half was uh, uh, you know they caught us on the break a few times, but I think they just didn't have any kind of quality to kind of really do anything with it. I mean, it reminded me a little bit actually of when we played Everton. Um, hmm. You know, there was, a, there was a couple of times when they kind of broke out, um, and Everton punished us big style quite early on, which hmm. made it very difficult for us. So. Uh, yeah, that's the experience and maybe a bit more quality because they had um, Calvert-Lewin and so on, didn't they? So, yeah, yeah maybe that's the yeah. difference. I think Carlton Morris might, and we'll talk about his goal in a minute, but I think he might end up doing all right for them. Um, he'll, 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 be, he'll put himself about a bit and I think he'll get some goals, whether it'll be enough or whether the other players that he's going to have around him will be able to provide enough, we'll have to see. But, um, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Raymond, a headed goal, not bad, eh? Not bad from Solly. He's he scored. Was it seven in twelve or something? Or eight in twelve in the end of the season? Certainly, there was a stat I saw today that he is the top goal scorer for Brighton since uh, RDZ took over. Yeah, or none. So that's doing something. But I don't think anybody really told him that he should actually head the ball before um, Deserby arrived, because I think he'd <laughs> scored possibly one with his head. In all the time he's played with in Brighton, and I think that was probably by mistake. Um, yeah. So now somebody said you can actually head the ball; you are allowed to. Um, yeah. Sorry. Mm. So, um, of course, Grimsby goal was uh, deserve era as well. Mm. Of course, for anyone that can't remember the timelines, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm um, not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether it's uh, well, I heard it from whether it's true or not, but uh, I heard that uh, he's he's been sorry, he's been set a target of 15 goals this season. Mm. So uh, I mean that's a I mean to get get your first goal in the first game. Yeah, I mean start. it's fairly late in the day, but it's about unlocking potential. And various pundits have all said that you know he's he's got that potential to to be more damaging in the final third, which was the missing ingredient. And um, I guess you know it's it's taken this long, it's taken this coach, whatever it is. But I'm happy it's carrying on. Let long may it continue. And why not? Fifteen goals might be a bit ambitious if it's in, if it's just Premier League. Also. I mean, I think Roberto was also talking about sort of Matoma, the same sort of number. He was talking about them both, Mm -hmm. saying sort of 15 goals. And if they can be 
both Matoma and, and Marks from scoring that sort of number of goals, then we're going to be up, up the top of the league. I think it's other dangerous. people like, like Ferguson clearly are going to be um, sort of uh, actually tripping in. So yeah. I thought, thought Dale Stevens remarked the other day at the Soul meeting where he said that the dressing room has always felt that Marks was capable of playing at the level he now is. And that actually, arguably, was slightly disappointed that. Um, actually that he wasn't. And the other thing was Roberto making a remark that, that that Solly holds onto the ball a bit too long, that he actually needs to, I think his expression was, play quicker. Hmm. And uh, if, if he does do that, then I think he'll do even more damage from a creative viewpoint uh, and setting other people up if he just releases the ball that much quicker. Hmm. Peter, so, yeah, all I was going to say, but I think... Well, I think one thing is Roberto is literally God, so that's probably why he's turned around Solly. Um, he's literally God, is he? He's literally God, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't have that high opinion of him, but as you can imagine, I say, yeah, I'm, I'm basically <laughs> love the guy. Can't can't say anything enough for him. The other thing is, I think Solly is really good. He got an early goal because he's a massive confidence player, mm-hmm. and I think Roberto has really been the one who's really kind of got that out of him and really kind of, you know, obviously, what, the way he turned him around after that Charlton game. Missing that penalty at Charlton, he hadn't scored all season. He walked away from that, you're thinking, is he ever going to score again almost? And then the next game, he scores an absolute worldie against Lampton. And from there, never look back. And that is down to good coaching, good work. And also the fact that March is, he always was a very good player. He was, mm. when he played left wing back under Pottery, he was brilliant. Because anyway, it took the pressure off to score. It meant he, and at one point under Hewitt, he was like the lead assister for quite a long time. He, he's got he loads of assists. But someone, it's been a consistency. He's had good runs, but he never had it over a, a longer period. And yeah. this season, hopefully, we'll see. Because obviously, given then it was only three months we saw that, three or four months. He needs to have that over the whole season where he's assisting and scoring. Mid-stats mm. for last season were more goals and assists than his whole time in Premier League before that, which was an absolutely, you know, partly down to the fact he had pretty poor stats before that. But also, you know, he, he was phenomenal in the last season and... Yeah, deserve you have to take a lot of the credit for that because neither Potter nor Hewn have got that other at that level. Yeah, that's true. And also to add that Adingra, I think, can get into double figures potentially. Uh, he, he looks could... exceptionally good. Yeah, I love I mean, him. Really like deadly, doesn't it? Including the pre-season games. He just doesn't mess around. He gets snapshots off. We'll talk about this individual goal in a minute. But, um, you know, he doesn't doesn't mess about. And he, that was still a difficult opportunity in the, in that game. On he would have had two as well if he wasn't for Ferguson sliding. Yes, <laughs> he was waiting thought, for that second. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. I thought, for example, I thought Adringa looked so much sharper than, for example, Welbeck. I mean, Welbeck had about sort of three opportunities, but actually it didn't look sharp. And Adringa... Yeah. Sort of came on and looked sharp from the word go. Yeah, well, only from what I saw in pre-season, Welbeck looked the sharper of him and Ferguson, for example. But on mm-hmm. Saturday, I thought Welbeck looked well below par, and Ferguson looked excellent when he came on, as did Adinger as well. We've got some real competition in those front four places. And how healthy is that going to be for everyone? Because you look at the, I mean, Jao will get some goals, Evan will get some goals, and. Danny Welbeck obviously plays a certain role, which isn't always just about the goals, but he's going to have a tough job keeping a place in the team, isn't he, the way it's going? Incidentally, speaking of the team, we didn't say what the team was, so obviously we did start with with Jason Steele in goal. 
and we had Van Hecker and Dunk as the partnership. Uh, we played James Milner in the right-back role. We know he can play either side in full-back as well as elsewhere on the pitch, but he played as a right-back, although he did swap over at some point during the game as well for a while. And then we had, obviously, Purvis at left-back. We started with Mahmoud Dahoud. I'll never tire of saying that in its full entirety, that, that name. Uh, yeah, Dahoud and Grosh playing the sort of deeper roles. Joao further forwards, Mitterberg on the left, Soddy on the right, and Welbs up front. Um, although, of course, we've changed that with subs coming on later. And um, The rest of the first half didn't provide any more goals. Just to quickly run through it, Luton had a corner, headed strongly straight at Steele, and Morris couldn't get on the rebound. Steele then kicked brilliantly forward, um, worked through the, uh, to Welbs, whose imperfect contact hit the post, the first of three frame strikes during the game, which could have added to our tally. Um, there was a great long through ball from Donkey that caused Luton an error that led to Kauru feeding Welbeck, uh, Welbeck's shot, but which was blocked, and Dahoud's uh, follow-up shot was also blocked as we piled on some pressure. Um, Kauru then got a yellow card for booting the ball away, one of a number of clampdowns in the new rules, which we'll also talk about shortly in a bit more detail. Um, descent being clamped down quite a bit, as well, in general. Although I didn't think he was dissent in his case, I think he was just frustrated with himself. He wasn't. Yeah, oh yeah, he kicked it away out of court. frustration. It was just frustration himself. Like it felt a little bit, a little bit harsh because he was. I thought yeah. both yellows for us were a little bit, yeah. a little bit harsh. I didn't think Stupinia should have been booked early on. The guy ran into him and threw himself on the floor. Yeah, and I then, don't think that was a book. didn't. It wasn't dissent. So to me, it felt. And he wasn't kicking the ball away. He just trying to get round the man and just frustrated with himself that he failed and got given away a goal kick. I think that doesn't get booked last season, but it definitely does this season along with a load of other stuff. They're really clamping down. The amount of yellows going to coaches and... and Yeah, it's just they didn't didn't really do anything. It was was just a bit of frustration. That was it. It Anyway, there we go. Um, More guilt... Good build-up play from the back ensued. Luton there having to work really hard the whole way through this half. Um, And that was pretty much that until the, uh, the break. Second half... Started with a really great early link-up move uh, at the beginning of the half. There was more good build-up, this time with Milner appearing at left-back, as I mentioned earlier, and linking with Kauru to set up Joao on his way. Um, Weaves inside, had a dangerous-looking shot deflected, but then collected by the goalkeeper, took the sting out of it. There was then a brilliant interception, uh, and then a show of skill from Joao, which won a free kick. Um, he nutmegged the defender uh, through his legs and then ran into him. Um, I think Kemp Luton and the commentators seemed to think that wasn't even a foul because he just <laughs> ran into the player. You could argue the case, but there we go. I think the difference was he pushed him, basically. He had his arms out. He, yeah. he didn't push it back. He didn't. Yeah. Ju- if he just stood there, it's, I, I agree with them, but he did actually push him. Yeah, I thought so. so. It, whereas Estepinian just stood where he was and didn't actually do anything. Yeah, and it was That's the difference, I would say. It was the typical skill that he's got is this shuffle movement and, and quick change of um, perspective of one foot on the ball, moving it from one point to another, really quick footedness. And, and he's going to cause a lot of teams problem, problems with that skill and his link up with Kauru, which we'll probably talk about a bit more at the end of the, uh, the, the match analysis itself is, um, yeah, it's going to be a really key thing, I think, this season. Uh, but anyway, that, the result of free kick from that foul, um, was taken short by Solly. Pascal then drove it into the near post. Rebounded off to Kauru and Welbeck couldn't uh, Welbeck couldn't quite get to it. Um, so that was the second frame strike of the game. Um, I, a bit of a shame, um, really. He almost caught him out at the near post, but it was never quite going to go in, was it? And then it, another. It's quite... funny because I thought, he, looking at it from the east, I thought they were chatting about it beforehand. I thought he was going to go for the far post because the keeper was quite far over on the near post. I thought he suggested he went over everyone and tried to curl it into the top corner. 
does like shooting at the near post, doesn't he? A bit like Solly. Mm. Yeah. Later in the game. That, that's what I thought they were chatting. They were chatting for a bit beforehand. Yeah. I was looking, there was quite a big gap behind the keeper, and I thought maybe he's going to go and try and take I it, think... kick, curl it over everyone. But yeah, completely the opposite way, obviously trying to get the element of surprise. And it was You've always got to go a really good effort. Part. You've got to go for the far post generally, haven't you? Unless, yeah. unless the goalkeeper's caught himself out of position fully, and then I thought uh, they're going to go for a Paul Watson sort of thing, you know, to kind of mm, over yeah. everyone into the far corner. Could, could, yeah, exactly. If you do one of those difficult ones to defend, and if you, if you don't get anything on it, it bounces in the corner, it would be perfect. Well, another great move involving most of the team then ensued. Um, nothing uh, amounted to that in the end. Um, they should have had a corner, and shortly afterwards. Um, with a good build-up from the back, uh, to Lewis Dunk playing a great through ball for Solly on the right wing, and it was wrongly given for offside. He was in despair. It was marginal, but he was definitely onside, as the TV views showed, which I watched uh, back You've really watched in detail, haven't you? I remember half of this stuff, but I do remember that, <laughs> and not thinking it was offside. Yeah. Yeah. I, didn't, I did watch On the east, back. I didn't look offside. <laughs> you could tell I watched it back, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that one at the time was raised quite a big fuss on the east, but it was the east side. And there was a lot of like I, abuse I the Lightsman got about it. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, March was standing more or less in front of us, uh, and, and Peter, that were not you know, just a few seats further to the left. And at the time, the ball was was actually kicked by the player passing it. I can't remember who it was, um, but it, it definitely wasn't offside. It's an age-old uh-huh. thing. The linesman looking to see where it is as he receives the ball. Yeah, and the whole funny point of VAR is that you leave that anyway, even if you're like, if it's not obvious, then you leave it and then you go back and you put your flag up and they go to VAR rather than pulling that back. Yeah. yeah I, I'm not wrong. surprised that wasn't offside. It didn't look it certainly at the time, as mm-hmm. Raymond says. It felt like and he, the linesman, I think, gave a wrong decision for a throw on and then gave that and he got a lot of abuse on the east side for that, those two yeah. decisions. He did make some bad decisions. We'll come on to those. We won't wax too lyrical about referees in this match. We'll talk about the Premier League. Well, that seems to be fair to the linesman, not the referee, obviously. Well, yeah, the official, sorry, yeah, I should say. Um, then there was a booking for foul on Kaoru. Uh, it was a lovely subtle ball through from, from Joao that put him in. So they had to make the foul. Um, then there was a sharp, shol- I knew I was going to tongue twist this one, a sharp, solly shot. Uh, from my notes, uh, well saved after brilliant build-up. Um, false claim for a pen, uh, but it was it was one of our own players, to who that actually made contact with him. But um, a good, uh, dangerous chance there. There was then a, a rare dunk error, um, which led to a dangerous, slightly deflected cross coming in, which Morris couldn't quite reach. Um, and that led to two consecutive corners for the visitors, as Luton had a, a rare period of pressure for a while. Then, of course, we had the penalty up the other end. Um, Lockyer on Joao. Now, Peter said he thought that wasn't a penalty. I, I didn't think I it, was. it was soft. Oh, it was I didn't soft, say it wasn't. I think it is a penalty because he's got his arm up into a... I know you can compete and there's a bit of contact and everything, but his arm was up across... His forearm was across his path. And I think Joao was looking to try and engineer a scenario there. I will agree with that. Um, but I do think that... Uh, Ultimately, that is a penalty. And the I refs, thought the one that build up to a Dingbris goal was probably more of a penalty, ironically, than that. Mm. He was taken out in the build-up. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm inconclusive on the one you're talking about there. Actually, the other one, uh, which obviously led to the goal anyway, so it doesn't matter. But yeah, but I mean, would, would I they have looked at that? 
They might have looked at ne- it, yeah. Neither of us much as one of Wolves one at the weekend, <laughs> on Monday yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the commentator didn't think it was a penalty on Sky. I mean, they, they, it was game of the day, by the way. They showed the whole match, that which was cool. I thought it was going to be Villa-Newcastle, maybe because it was on later they didn't show it. I don't know. Um, who no, knows? Because it all, they, they don't show the match that's been live, live. Yeah. on game of the day, ever. Yeah. So, oh, okay, uh, that's why. I, I get oh. what you're saying there, Russ. He did raise his arm, and he shouldn't do, and you can't. And that's what that's what gives you the the referee the right to give it, and also gives the VAR the right to say it is. But I think he went down easily. Probably is the answer. Yeah, yeah it's um, uh, Mike Dean. It's the kind of the uh, our favourite referee, Mike Dean. He's now retired, and he's, he actually sits on Soccer yeah. Saturday, Sky Soccer, Soccer Saturday. And uh, his reaction was, at the time, when he looked at it, he said, it was an offence, but it was a soft penalty. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. That's probably a fair analysis, I think, overall. Um, yeah, soft, got... I think, is the right way of putting it. It definitely wasn't as soft as their one. Yeah. Yeah, which is fair enough. Yeah, of course, that's the Peter Walton role, role from BT Sport, now TNT Sport, isn't it? Because um, they got a ref on, which is a good idea. And actually, um, I, I'm interested, not that I, I followed anything from the weekend, but on weeks when I'm not at the games, it's going to be interesting to see what Mike Dean thinks. Because I think he's uh, he's probably quite a good um, a good guy to get on there, actually, I think. Although he's contentious during his career, I think he'll he'll be pretty insightful, uh, probably more than Peter Walton. <laughs> um, who, I've got, I, I've, I mean, yeah. I've got cats who are more insightful than Peter Walton, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've, just got a, I've, I've got a feeling actually he might not be. He might I've got a feeling he might not be part of the referees' union with this. I think he might be uh, more balanced actually. Who might, might Dean? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, the... but, uh, I mean, just going back, to, uh, you call him Jar, I call him Pedro. But um, the Pedro, I thought looked dangerous when he was running at the defence. I just felt that his finishing lacked something, and he needs to. He needs to improve it. I mean, that first very early chance after five minutes, uh, where Grace really put it on the plate for him, and he completely scuffed the shot. Um, and I'm not sure he was sort of expecting it. And I thought Grace did exactly the right thing to cut to pass to him. And it was, uh, it was disappointing. Some of you, you know, sort of spent quite a lot of money on. So, right, you know, seven yards from goal. Middle of the goal, yeah. and, didn't, and didn't hit the target. So that yeah. I won't. But on the other hand, I think he's running at defence and creating opportunities for people. I think it looks very good. Mm. He's yeah, he's going to be a really strong creative presence. I think he will score goals. I, I think his finishing will be all right. I think that one just caught him by surprise or what what not. It maybe came at him a bit quick as well, and maybe he didn't expect a chance so soon. I don't know, but. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah, he, he should have done better with that. And there was a real let off for Luton at the time. But he did get his goal. He converted the penalty that he won. Um, it wasn't a great penalty, though. Well, it got, yeah, the goal he got his fans to it, didn't he? A decent high for the keeper. A keeper might have done better, actually, if they haven't got there. And I think I'm right in saying, has he put all three penalties, he's put all the three away, but has he put them all to the, to the goalkeeper's the left? He has, he has. They, yeah. well, they've all gone to the same place. So I'm looking to him at some stage, to shoot the other way. Because eventually, if he always puts them to the same side, then everybody's going to know they're going to the same side. Yeah. So that has to be taken into account. I'm hoping he is going to vary it up, because that is going to get very obvious very quickly otherwise, isn't it? Or at least put it in the top corner, that side. 
I mean, you put it in yeah. the top corner, the same spot every time. There's no way a keeper can get to it, barring standing much more that side. If you put it in the top I corner, to... there's no way keepers can get to it. Well, that's yeah. true. But, but yeah. I, have to, I have to say, he does hit it with power there as well. He's a short run-up, so the, the goalkeeper doesn't have a lot of time to think about it or, or to sort of jump up and down and move around, because it's only about two paces thump. And he hits it with, with a lot of power. And it's the power that made sure it went in. If he yeah. hadn't hit it halfway, that would have been saved. Yeah, and the only um, I, 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 it's early days. I don't want to say too much, but it seems as if we found our filler for the um, for the gap left by McAllister, who scored all six of his league penalties, all seven of his penalties in all competitions last season. And there is the worry because we've had people like Danny Welbeck and Pascal Gross have taken penalties in open play so to speak, you know, normal, normal not, not shootouts, basically, I'm talking about. Um, and Lewis Dunk could could maybe take a good penalty, but I felt like we needed a new penalty taker. Pascal can fill in if he's the only one available, but I do think Joao, until he significantly starts screwing up, I think Joao is our penalty man. I think Ferguson will be as well. I think, yeah. I think they will have enough variation of players on the pitch and different team selections this year that they'll need a couple because... They, no one's going to play every game, including Europe. So I think they'll probably have Ferguson as well as another option. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And he wasn't on then, so I wonder whether, you know, maybe he hasn't been much in pre-season either. So it may be that he's yeah. up there with Jao if, if they're both on the pitch at the same yeah. time. And of course, James Milner can take a good penalty. He rarely misses as well. So we've got good options yeah. in that regard. Well, Lewis Dunk has never missed in a shootout. Yeah, he has always scored brilliantly. Is it about three I, or four he's had now? Or I think like five or six, probably whatever. Every time he scores emphatically, he doesn't even get. No one gets close to his penalties. Mm. I'd love to see him chosen as a permanent one. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I mean, the player I I like, uh, I've seen it only a couple so far. Um, is Esther Pinman? Mm, yeah, Deal as well. <laughs> Never missed one. Yeah, <laughs> so we we should be good at penalty shootouts, shouldn't we? We need to improve on last season. Okay, we got some new signings in there in that list, and Evan Ferguson's only emerged on the scene some of the way through that. But yeah, um, let's let's see uh, let's see who gets the uh, who gets the honours if there's more the nod. More, yeah, the nod. Yeah, unfortunately, there is a common I, I, there is a common denominator with missed penalties in this in our squad at the moment. Unfortunately. Poor Sully. Going back to that actual match, I was somewhat surprised when I looked at the stats to find out that we had as much as 71% possession. And I think that, which implies, basically implies if we had 71% possession, that uh, Luton were actually uh, playing quite deep a lot of the time. And therefore we weren't, didn't have we took something like 26 shots, so we took a hell of a lot of shots. But we were probably having, weren't being able to make perhaps clinical chances quite to the, the degree we might have done if, if the uh, other side had been attacking more. Yeah, possibly. I think that's, a, that's always the case, I think. Yeah, I think, that's, yeah. I, I think we, they did sit deep and try to catch in a break. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other yeah. thing to mention with Pedro at this point, um, he really works hard, doesn't he, to get the ball back. There's a lot of chasing down. He made some dangerous interceptions a couple of times, which either did or nearly led to dangerous chances. Um, I like that hard working aspect in the, in the team and you, you need that as well. Um, the first subs of the game, um, came in the 74th minute. Um, we had, uh, first of all, uh, Gilmore came on for Dahoud, straight swap. We then had the 78th minute Ferguson for Welbeck. And um, later on then, we had 
Veltman for Milner, 79, and Enciso came on late in the game for Pedro on um, 88 minutes. Yeah. Um, in between which, um, the penalty for Luton came along, uh, and that was a bit disappointing. Let's talk about that then. So, obviously, Morris buried it once uh, once he got his hands on the ball, but um, it, was, it was a hopeful ball forwards, which was annoying that it manifested into a penalty scenario from there. Um, broke down the right... Uh, the player got the cross in, uh, a hopeful cross. He wasn't looking at where he was kicking, um, but he, he played it in. Lewis slid in to try and block the pathway of the ball. The ball then came directly in behind Lewis, whose arms were in a natural position, and it clipped off the back of his of, of his back. Sorry, clipped off his back, which um, nobody seems to have mentioned, and then hit his elbow behind him. So even if it didn't hit his back first, I don't think that should be a penalty. The fact it came off his back as well means it's even more ridiculous that it was given as a penalty. Okay, the ref may not be able to see it, as always with scenarios, the linesmen the same, but VAR should have seen that and overturned it, shouldn't they? Um, even Dermot Gallagher said that Stonewall, that shouldn't have been a penalty, as did all the other people that uh, have commented on the game in the professional mm-hmm. media. Um, thoughts on that? Raymond, should we go to you first on that one? Well, I, I, th- I thought it was a very harsh penalty, can I put it that way? And yeah. uh, and Dunk, uh, one thing about Dunk was that he did tar in uh, you know, from about sixty-five minutes onwards. You mentioned the mistake he made earlier. He did that one. He did another one where he was a poor pass, sort of cross field. Um, and of course, he'd only had sixty-one minutes uh, in pre-season uh, against the Spanish team at the Amex. Uh, and I think that's not surprising that that he did tire a bit, and therefore the odd mistake came into his game. Right? I suspect if um, if he'd been fresher, he would have blocked it differently. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, I'm not sure. I think, possibly that. Uh, was I, I thought it was harsh. I, it's difficult to argue. I'm always slightly sort of it's it's a shirt line now, isn't it? Because I, I always used to thought, think it was below the elbow in the days when I sort of played at school. But then yeah. people wanted to play in long sleeves in those days, and not short sleeves. And uh, so, uh, on the elbow, I never thought was handball. But that's, uh, mm. I know the law has changed with, with the shirt sleeve line. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about other penalty incidents just at the end on from the Premier League and other incidents in general from the Premier League just after we finish this review. But yeah, just to round off the rest of the, the action then. So. There was a stunningly fast break down the left involving Joao and Kaoru, really linking together well, a really slick attack. Uh, there was more good defending from Luton to a t- dangerous attack that then went on down the right. Joao and Kaoru again linked up with a big threat on the left, which led to a penalty shout for a possible foul on Pedro. Peter, you've said you thought that was more of a penalty. The play continued. And the goalkeeper made a save from Purvis, who'd been getting forward a lot in this second half. We'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. But then from Purvis's shot, it then led to the goal because, unfortunately, Pelly, Ruddock and Panzu, who's the first player to play all the way up from non-league into the Premier League. He's been with Luton for a number of years. A fantastic achievement, by the way, and hats off to him for that. I knew played fairly well in the game. Unfortunately, made a horrible mistake. He tried to chest it down. He took a couple of chest touches and then he sort of tried half-heartedly to chip it to his teammate who was near the goal line. Didn't get enough on it. And it left Simon Adingra. It was probably Simon Adingra, actually, if he's, um, uh, I think his uh, pronunciation. Anyway, he um, 
he was left with a free shot at goal in terms of he had a free unchallenged shot. It wasn't an easy chance still because he had to take it really quickly and get it right in by the post to beat the goalkeeper at the near post, um, which he did. It brushed the post on its way in, didn't it? And was a brilliant clinical finish, um, but it was a gift. They, they, the chance shouldn't have been there at all. Very unfortunate for um, Penzu there. Um, but so be it. That was the end of the game. That was the tipping point. Because Sluden could have got their way back in, having got the penalty and gone back to 2-1. You never know. Games can turn, no matter how well they're going for you for a period of time. But that really finished them off, didn't it? Um, good finish, though, guys, wasn't it? Um, Alan, what do you think of that? It was a fantastic bit of skill. I mean, at the end of the day, he, he took it so quickly um, and accurately. Um, that's what you want. There's no kind of thought about doing one, two touches before he, once the ball came to him, he just whipped it straight into the back of the net, which is fantastic. Yeah. And it was, it's, it seems to be his modus operandi to, to glance stuff off the, off the post. He did that in the game against, uh, was it Chelsea? Was it he scored again? No, uh, Brent, uh, Brentford or Chelsea? Can't remember which game it was. Brentford. He scored one off the post, didn't he, from range? Um, yeah. And he, he seems to be deadly accurate. More, more, yeah. more of that, please, uh, Simon. That'll be fantastic. Um, Purvis then assisted Fergie's strike, um, which went into onto the post for the third time he hit the frame of the goal. Um, and he was really getting forward, Purvis, at this point during the game. So advanced, so often, which great to see, and he loves doing that. I wonder how much we can get away with that against quality opposition or, or the, dare I say it, the Evertons of this world, if they do what they did last season. But, you know, he really was making a difference and giving them all sorts of problems, that extra overload on that side of the pitch. Um, they had their man, I've forgotten his name, is it Kabori, the guy that uh, they've signed who's playing right back, who I thought was good. He played well and he looks like a good signing and he might do well over the course of the season. But he picked up a yellow card at one point and that was obviously leaving him in a weaker position and that overload was really helping us. Um, so as I said, Purvis set up the chance for Fergie but couldn't quite score. He then linked up with Kaoru. Uh, and then linked up with Grosh in one move that led to a dangerous shot that was saved. That's when Pascal cut back inside and again shot at the near post, where I think he should have gone to the far post. Nonetheless, another dangerous chance and another chance to see a version of the Pascal pirouette as well. Um, Steele then tipped a shot over from Brown just over the bar, or at least I, I was told it, it was tipped over. I couldn't quite see, but um, that was... Um, a dangerous effort for Luton, which would have just been a consolation. But then we had the f- the final goal, the fourth goal. Fergie did score this time, didn't hit the frame. And that's um, after a really good ball forward by, I think it was Dunk, down yeah, the left. Was, yeah. Yeah. Yet again, Purvis in the threatening position, crosses over, beats the goalkeeper and sliding into the far post where, as you said, both Simon Adingra and Evan Ferguson. Ferguson was on the inside track, so he slid in and, and buried it. Um, a typical poachers finish. I think we'll see a few of those from in this season. Four-one job done. Um, thoughts on that goal and, and general? Well, sorry, uh, Peter. Yeah. I was going to say some some general thoughts as well. You're saying about Stepinian and him getting forward. I think this is where we need to replace Casado yeah. because that's mm-hmm. when Casado covered and offered the support. So we, I don't think we're ever probably that often going to play like uh, Stepinian and Lampty. I think we're probably going to try and sign a. So this Argentinian left-back they're looking at potentially could be quite attacking from the sound of it. Mm. They'll probably try and sign another equivalent for Estepina and have a more defensive right side. So you have three defenders back and then the left, the, the central defensive midfielder covers. And that allows Estepina the, the, the freedom to get forward and to really give it a go. And then Yao Pedro will help march with the overload on the right. Mm. And it kind of like balances out then a bit to a degree. And yeah. But I think, yeah, Estepina is one of my favourite Albion players. He's been Amazing. brilliant since he's joined. Yeah. 
is, yeah, he he would have been a very well worthy recipient of the uh, Player of the Year last year. What Second the season, he was incredible, and yeah. it was like I mean, he had space, but that was a perfect cross, and yeah. there was like literally two of them could have scored at the back post. There, it was he's it really was, dangerous, you know, isn't he? You feel like something's yeah. going to happen when he's going forward. His delivery space. since since the World Cup, his delivery has been exceptional, yeah. and I think it's interesting that he stood out more in the Ecuador team than Casado did. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think men of the season weren't there, like players of the yeah. season, arguably. Yeah, I mean, also, Estupian, he basically is. I think he features in the team of the week every week in in one of the, one of one of the teams of the week. Yeah, every week he's, he's consistent, so he's he's, he's popular. I mean, not just not just with us, but unfortunately with, with all the other Premier League uh, teams as well. So, <laughs> if he could yeah. be up there yeah. with the next ones to look to for multi-million pound moves, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, I mean, hasn't he been an upgrade on Cucurella, which is, isn't what oh, I was... definitely. Oh, he's by far an upgrade on Cucurella. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing is that I I just feel that he's... He, you mentioned this uh, youngster from Boca Juniors. Uh, I don't actually necessarily see them as mutually exclusive. Um, it, it might be that they could work together. The only thing about the young guy, Vokra, I was looking at his stats for this season. He's played five matches. And the good news is he's scored a goal and got one assist. Yeah. He's also picked up three yellow cards in five yeah. matches. So, yeah, this uh, was in the... the ideal along Igor Julio, as I'm saying, Igor Julio on that left-hand side then, judging by his record yeah. instantly last year. Is, um... <laughs> I wasn't saying that necessarily means that Estupino will leave immediately. It was more the right. fact that they're both quite attacking options on the left. So it's almost the way we play would then be the left side, you have the fullback going forward and the right side, maybe like Beltman or Milner. So the one thing I wanted to say is I thought Milner was exceptional. Was what a signing he looks like. Oh. For a player who I thought was, and it may still be that he does, was coming in to be a, like a sub every so often and play a few games here and there. He was superb. His touch yeah. is incredible. He gets up and down for a 37-year-old. He's He gets up and down so well and he is... Yeah, he looks a class act. He's going to be oh. such an asset for us. Given how well the likes of Purvis and Drow were playing in that game, I think overall, uh, the fact that he is man of the match, Milner, for me yeah. as well. Yeah, against uh, Rush of the game, which I didn't necessarily agree with. I thought it was Milner was the... Yeah, Milner was the best player. I thought actually. I thought he thought he was a bit slow for the first 20 minutes, but after that, he really grew into it. And his yeah. range of passing is really good. He, he looks lovely, a class player. The way he kind of turns away from defense, you know, players, a bit like Moses used to do. Moses used to do. Yeah. You know, he turns away from pressure and he and he makes space. And that's a key part of our game that, yeah. you know, you can be under pressure, but suddenly you then build a counter. And just, they're just both of them look <laughs> excellent signings. All three new signings look excellent. Well, well, Peter, well, I think that's still... a bit where we've been trying to um, worry. Well, we've been worrying about Casido leaving the defensive side of it. We could get someone who could do that, but could we get someone who could do that and get the ball forward? Now, I don't know how well Mahmoud um, might end up being able to do the defensive side of the game. Perhaps no, I think the more players who do different parts of it probably. Is yeah, the answer. yeah, and I think I, he, I, that transition I, I forward, that's where he's going to be good, isn't it? He's yeah. fantastic. He looks he and looks Mil- really classy. You Mil- can see Mil- why. I mean, he literally played for Dortmund a lot before his injuries last year. He yeah. was, you know, in the second best team in Germany who are constantly do well in Europe. I mean, it's not to be underestimated. He, yeah. Last year, he missed out because he was injured quite a bit. And then Bellingham and players like that were in the team. It's not like he was a, you know, he was no mug. He's a brilliant, yeah. he looks a really classy player. But Milner, I was very impressed with. I was a bit, a little bit surprised we tried to sign him, given we've already got like Lana sort yeah. of thing. But he, he looked really class at right back, I thought. Very impressed. Raymond, you wanted to come in on that. Well, I was going to say, well, I, I agree totally about Milner. I thought it excellent. I, 
and I was so pleased that he was playing at right back rather than in midfield. So I think the space that he gets at right back and his natural football intelligence in possession, sort of positioning himself, etc., and seeing the danger when it's coming. And he still has quite a quick turn of speed. You know, he can sort of track back quite quickly, which is, as you say, at 37, you know, mm. pretty... His um, touch is so good as well, though. There was one in the air, that went right in the air in the first half, and he just took it down completely immediately under control with a defender quite nearby, and it's just the attacker just nearby, and it's like, yeah. But, but, but Dahoud, I see more, I don't, I've always thought of more as a replacement for McAllister, yeah. and, and not some, and not a replacement yeah. for. Yeah, um, probably true, yeah. And uh, I guess I think um, Roberto sees it the same way. Um, mm. However, yeah, I'm slightly disappointed that Gilmore isn't in the side because I think Gilmore's been playing well. And I thought Gilmore played well when he came on. Yeah. So... Then who do you leave out? <laughs> That's the thing. Alan, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just, just picking up on what Raymond said about uh, Gilmore. I was just thinking that, uh, you know, with the first couple of games in the friendlies we had in the US, we kind of played a similar style that we were playing last year. Very short, sharp passes through the lines, triangles, things like that. Which I thought, oh, that's great. You know, we we carried on where we left off, and then uh, and then when we played, when we played the friendly at the Amex, we seemed to have changed a little bit, and I think we carried that on into the, into the first half um, of the Luton game. Actually, I'm not saying it was bad; it was just different. Hmm. Um, and it, we only actually went back to that short, sharp passing when Gilmore came on in the second half. We kind of changed our style a little hmm. bit. Now, you know. Yeah, I'm not sure if we've got a tactician in their group here today talking about it, but I'm not sure whether I really could work out exactly what changed. But there was a kind of a change in style between the first half and the second half. Well, I wonder if um, account, we're preempting, and we talked about how we're going to preempt and counter counter tactics. Maybe that's part of what that is. I don't know to to kind of e- eke our way into the game a bit more rather than try and overcommit or something. I'm not sure. But um, Peter, what, what do you think? I think that also has to do with Luton being behind at that point. So the, we couldn't do the kind of necessarily quick attacks when they were like sitting back deep, and it's mm. not so effective. But when they're suddenly, you know, we get we play maybe a certain player at the start in a game like that who's going to try and like break them down, have more chance of playing the the, the final ball on the edge of the area and that sort of thing, because they're going to let us probably get up to the halfway line, and get up further, but then then start attacking us. Whereas you know maybe that you know Gilmore or something like that starts the games where Liverpool say come here or United when they're going to attack or not United actually that's not true but Liverpool or City or someone like that who aren't going to sit back and it's it, it is yeah I think we were talking about like this kind of the idea of having you were saying about having like different ways of dealing with different teams and someone like the Hood is somebody who could unlock a team or Lana's another one maybe whereas other te- other games you maybe start a Dingborough who can get in behind if teams are attacking us and it, it's a a way of like, yeah different teams with different you don't have a first eleven in a way. You have a first eleven for each team to play, but you don't have a first eleven, so to speak, in a way. Yeah, and it's all yeah. about the squad depth, of course, as we know. And we've got these extra tournament, this extra tournament that we're involved in for at least six games. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we've got one less league cup match, but still five more games this season. Yeah, what, what's back at Topolog going to be like playing? Are they going to sit deep, <laughs> or are they going to are they going to attack yeah. us? I like the idea that Deserby is still talking about that we're going to be playing 60 games, which is basically us winning every, <laughs> every game, every cup match, right to the final, in yeah. every cup and every league match, which is fantastic. <laughs> that we're, we're budgeting for that, uh, that level of that number of games. It's great. But coming back to Alan's <laughs> point about passing, 
if a side isn't doing the high press, it's harder to pass through the lines. It also means that the sort of way that Steele plays the ball out and, and Deservey wants him to play out is negated because there's nobody for him to do the short pass. You know, he can do the short passes, but there's not actually bypassing any of the opposition. And therefore, it doesn't actually have the effect of suddenly taking three or four players out of out of the game for the other side. Mm. And uh, therefore, you, you can't play in, in, in the same way. And I think that the squad is is learning how to adapt to the different... They're not playing the same way just because they've got to play that way, if that makes sense. I yeah. think they're becoming more aware of how they should adapt and, and, and play differently. And when Luton wanted to come back into the game more, therefore coming forward, Therefore, we were able to do what Alan was saying. So I think that's yeah. right. Well, you look, at, you look at the fourth goal. Luton were pushing forward and trying to get a, a goal back, and we basically went over the top of them. Especially again, and a sign that you know for a long time Potter didn't do that, and he did start doing that that final five six games or final that final fifteen game run. Rather than just playing, he looked at like we can go long for Welbeck sometimes as well, and that sort of thing. And I think I think Deserby is allowed to do that as well. It's a lovely ball from Dunkey to. Yeah, for Stupini, yeah. as you said, for the third, for the fourth goal, and I it was just because Luton were we couldn't have done that in the first half because Luton's defence was on the edge of the area. Yeah, I do think Luton, um, we're getting to slick all that little interplay. I noticed it in the playoffs, uh, the playoffs, sorry, the preseason. Uh, there were lots of really incisive little bits of interplay in, in in the deeper parts of the pitch when they're sitting back. We were doing a little bit of that as well. I think it's quite good that we played Luton first and got got the results and everything went well. But that's a good little uh, taster for trying to get more and more in amongst those tightly packed defences when we come up against the more disciplined, slightly more disciplined, less naive, more experienced, and maybe even better organised teams such as the Everton's of this world um, or indeed the Fulham's or those kind of teams where it's going to be harder to break down than Luton. And I'm glad we got the, the job done against Luton. But yeah, we... in, in essence, you have to just say Luton weren't very good. Yeah, yeah. And they'll get better, hopefully, over the season. They, they, they look bright in the first half at times, but never yeah. actually. One of those things where you, you're sat in your seat and you're thinking they could score here, but actually never really looked like doing so. And in yeah. the second half, they only got a goal from a questionable penalty. I mean, Morris had a couple of headers that should have done better with, but other than that, there was nothing really. And their defence was pretty, pretty naive. Okay. Uh, but the other factor, I think, one, one shouldn't forget, uh, the first half we were playing with the wind. And therefore doing that sort of dunk-type pass wasn't as easy to execute. And therefore Dunk could actually hit that ball in the second half because he was hitting it back into the wind. And therefore it was going to be held up slightly by the wind. And therefore he could hit it that much harder to get it that up, up, up the pitch that much faster, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think the conditions were a factor, because the wind was quite strong. Yes, it was. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, we better wrap up there um, in a moment. So that's it for the Luton game. So I think um, it's safe to say Milner was man of the match. But lots of other good performances. Good start to the season. Very quickly on the Premier League, our next opposition is, is Wolves, um, who um, surprised everyone by playing a lot better than everyone thought they were going to do. Everyone's pretty much written them off for the season with the whole Lopetegui walkout and the apparent disharmony behind the scenes. And yet, they deserve to beat Man United at Old Trafford. And yet, they didn't quite do it, did they, Peter? Oh, yes, but yeah. but, but where were they playing? I mean, if you're playing at Old Trafford, you're minus four goals, aren't you? To start I don't think it matters where you're playing if you're playing as Man U, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. 
I think, yeah, that was, I, they just, yeah, I mean, it's, what is, what the hell, what the hell is, um, Simon Hooper dog on the pitch anyway? And what's Salisbury doing? I mean, we saw, we know he was the one for the Spurs match last season. It was absolutely dreadful anyway. But how can you watch that? Literally, another got nowhere in a ball and flattened the player. What What is there to debate? It's a, such a clear... It should have been over in five seconds. He should have took one look, seen that he didn't get anywhere in the ball, and sent Hooper back to the back to the VAR, and he should have looked, taken one look and given a penalty. It's an insane decision, even for the bias of Man U. I mean, we we thought we had a blatant penalty tonight at Old Trafford first game last season when Welbeck went down, and it was a blatant penalty. But this was about five times more blatant. What are they doing? What is the point of VAR if they can't give that? What What is the actual point of having VAR in there? Yeah, I mean, I know we weren't playing Man United first game this time, but last can I just year. say, same as last season, United have got a decision in their favour they shouldn't have done. We've got one against us that shouldn't have yeah. been already. I'm keeping count this season. I'm not going to rant too much about refs unless I can help it. But, but, can I, but seriously, what is the point of VAR if they can't overturn that? Yeah, and again, Dermot yeah. Gallagher said uh, it was... It's completely con- well. John Moss went after the game as well. He can spot it within yeah. an hour, less than an hour of the game. Oh, but don't forget, Peter. There was an apology from John Moss, so that's all right. Yeah, that's okay then. Yeah, that that'll give Wolves the point, the least point they deserved. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure that makes up for everything. I yeah. mean, and the guys have been so done. The problem is, it's deprived Wolves of at least one, if not two points, or three points. Yeah, um, not two points. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well. Yeah. Uh, so, and Manchester United have got, at, at the very least, uh, two points more th- than they should have done. Yeah. So but we're the real victims yeah. here. It might deprive us of a Champions League place. Exactly. Well, yeah. well, <laughs> ignoring us for a second, it might uh, Manchester United might finish fourth, and where somebody else is one point behind them, which w- wouldn't have been the case but for that. And it's. It's that it's not only the extra prize money, but it's actual getting into the Champions League with the extra money. Wolves, if they were to get relegated or something, they might not have got relegated with those extra points. So it's usually it's okay, Raymond. United will get at least another twenty extra points this season because of VAR anyway. So these two will seem pretty insignificant when it comes down to it. They've never had the right points total ever in their history, Man United. That's for sure. Anywhere close to it, whether they've done, whether a good team. I mean, or why don't why don't teams just say? You know, look, we're not going to bother coming up, United. We'll give you the three points. We'll save all the travel costs and <laughs> well, everything else. But sometimes you do chance, win despite referees being dreadful. So there you are. Yeah, we won despite three dreadful decisions there last year. Mm. So actually, anyway. you could argue it's Wolves' fault for not scoring enough or <clears> doing <throat> enough to actually win despite the dreadful decisions. Yeah. Well, um, the only other thing I was going to mention about the Premier League, unless anyone's got any particular points, is injuries. Timber... Uh, of Arsenal is apparently the new signing is already out for the whole season and Mings has taken in a, a bad knee injury they haven't specified length of time Quite but as well that's going to be bad yeah yeah that's right there's quite a few bad injuries particularly to new signings actually um already this season and um, De Bruyne De Bruyne as well sorry who's De Bruyne that? De Bruyne De Bruyne yeah he's out yeah. for four to six months I reckon yeah um, four to six can- months yeah yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting four development. Four, four years. years. Yeah. Not 46, 426. <laughs> and no, no, I don't mean 426 either. Just <laughs> <laughs> there's an interesting but, development uh, on, there's an interesting development on Sky now is that apparently, uh, the Saudi, one of the Saudi teams is, uh, has had a, a bid accepted for Laporte. Oh, right. Okay. And so, there's uh, Allison might be interested in, interested in him. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just curious to see that, uh, not that I'm a conspiracy theorist or anything, but it seems strange that uh, Laporte's probably going to go for quite a hefty amount of money, and I wouldn't be surprised if Bass City suddenly go in with a big bid for a big player. The rumour is it's only no, 19 million they've more. offered. It's not that okay. big for him, actually. It's okay. not like, yeah. And I mean, I think the problem was they went for any Laporte in the storm, so they were like, kind of... Oh, <laughs> oh, oh that's probably a no Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to wrap up. Just to say... We were sorry, top sorry. of the league at the um at the end of our match. Bloody Villa Villa ruined that as well. Yeah, Villa ruined that. Yeah, because they they conspired to lose. Couldn't they time waste enough to hold on to four one? Yeah, so <laughs> we've gone second <laughs> in the table on goal difference. I mean, the goal scored ahead of Man City, though. Yeah. Going back to Timber, is that going to mean that uh, Tierney won't leave Arsenal? No, it, they seem to be letting him go to uh, to Newcastle anyway. Over Kukurea, who was also in with them. Which doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, letting him go. Um, no. And the other thing is, I I was actually quite pleased to see Van Heckling. I know uh, it turns out that Webster they didn't think it was quite fit enough, but it does worry me that Webster's never, as it were, quite fit enough. Uh, and I'm not sure that we'll see how much we'll see of Milano. I think he'll be in the squad, but I don't think they'll use him. Mm-hmm. And there was a report in one of the Sussex papers saying that while Lamptey who's obviously still getting over his injury, um, and Webster would see him training. They didn't see Lalana training. so no. I, I, think, I think he's probably the age where he doesn't train that much, is a pretty answer. A bit like when yeah. Simon Morgan came to us, according to the, uh, the Wifteen Years DVD, and barely trained and then played every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably. But also, I mean, Lalana, I think, going to be sidetracked more into um, coaching. But the interesting thing in, in the friendly, the Amex, there were a couple of, it's even the one moment where Gross was telling Lalana where to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Was, uh, Final uh, things uh, to mention before we wrap up is the England team, the women's team, World Cup semi final. As we record this Wednesday evening, uh, this morning, our time, uh, they played host or co hosts, Australia, and beat them. Uh, with an excellent game, three-one in the end, some great finishes. Sam Kerr scored for Australia, but it didn't really matter because we got our three goals. Um, Hemp was excellent, I think, probably man of the match. Um, brilliant. Uh, not man of the match. Man, not man of the match. Well, sorry. player of the match. Player of the match. It's it's a truly woman of the match. It's like the the fair it doesn't sound right. No, player of the match. There we go. Um, with a brilliant reverse pass for Russo to finish things off for 3-1. And but, a great second, a really good second goal as well, where she basically yeah. kind of tormented the defence and then poked it home. And all of that after uh, Alan Toon had, um, had driven one into the far corner. So really, good, all of them really good yeah. goals. England, yeah, Toon's got to start now in the final. Yeah. They, Lauren James can come on as the, the impact yeah. sub if we're, we need a goal after an hour or after 17 minutes like that. But Toon's got to start. She scored big yeah. goals in the Euros. Score big goals in the World Cup. She's got to start now. It's fantastic. Sorry, Adam, just a few next. I Adam wanted to get in on that. Uh, one. You, you, yeah. Yeah, Raymond, because okay. I'm going to bring up something else. Yeah. So, uh, All right, okay. let's carry on with the, the women's What I was going to say is there was a pivotal about minutes and a half where, firstly, they had an attack one of the, down the right. Uh, the Australian shot. Uh, Earp saved it, but palmed it. And yeah. one of the England defenders just got there before it got yeah. to the Australian forward following in, who would have had a simple tap in yeah. had she the defender not get it. So that was one really good piece of defending. Mm-hmm. Minutes and a half later, uh, we do a long ball down. The one of the Australian defenders did a, a Webster type um, weak header back, 
uh, Hemp gets on the ball and scores the second goal. That's a so bit one, harsh one, on Webster, isn't it? And, and one was and one was a really good piece of defensive work by England, combination of the goalkeeper and the defender, and the other was a poor piece of defending by the Australian by the Australian central defender. It's a bit harsh on Webster. <laughs> Yeah, well, I agree. But um, anyway, what? So, so that was a, a minute and a half. If we'd gone down, uh, if, if it had gone down to two one, we'd gone two one down there. Yeah, yeah, could have been, could have been a problem. And the way we turned that round when they got the equaliser, the psychology was all against us. But this football team and and Serena Vigman in particular as coach as well. Yeah. Also nature. I don't know You've got to give a credit to her. I mean, look at her yeah. record as a coach, she's phenomenal. She's got to yeah. four finals for different teams. She's got to the um to, to two consecutive finals with England now. And she's this is the second time she's got a team, is it, to the World Cup final? Um mm. having managed there the Netherlands, of course, her native country. But she she should be the next England men's manager as far as I'm concerned. Unarguably, uh, yeah, completely. She's absolutely fantastic. They are fantastic. They've got a real winner's mentality. And they're going into the final now against a good Spain side. Um, it's going to be an interesting final on Sunday. Be a new winner either way, which is good. Yeah, after the US dominated recently. Exactly. and we, Yeah, exactly. And we wish them the very best, obviously. The Lionesses have done fantastically well. Two successive finals. Let's hope it's two successive trophies. Next time we speak will be a, probably a review uh, midweek next week after the Wolves game, so we can talk about that women's final as well. Um, but that wraps it up for this. Episode. No, Alan wants to speak. Oh no, but Alan, yes, sorry, Alan wanted to yeah, speak very, very quickly. This, this, yeah. will, this will this will amuse uh, Peter. This is a little bit of a bookend to our discussion uh, about Caicedo because it's just been reported on Sky that Nonto has pulled out of the league squad because he's saying that uh, he's really angry that he's, he's, they're not giving him his move. So uh, uh, watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually have a lot of sympathy for Leeds for that because I think he's yeah, disgraceful again. He's absolutely, yeah, yeah. The number of players who just walked out on that team after relegation when they're the reason they went down is disgusting. Fair, that, is, that is pretty shoddy. They lost pretty much their whole bad. squad for yeah. no money, and they yeah. they were all the reason they went down. You're like yeah, you're said, a fault for them getting relegated. Yeah, they said the other two teams relegated, Leicester and Southampton, have had to sell a number of players, but they've got a lot of money for them. And Leeds have yeah. essentially lost the same quantity. They're all going on loan deals and Less. stuff. Yeah, yeah, crazy. It's, it's sickening that these players can just like be part of the problem, but then completely dismiss them, you know, move away from it, and just like be like, "Well, actually, it's not my not my problem, so I'm buggering off now somewhere else." The modern yeah, era, yeah. Peter. Well, Raymond, yeah, that was thank it. you for joining us. Alan, thank you for joining us. That wraps up this episode. Thank you. Thank yeah, it's, it's been really good to have you on. And we move on to the Wolves game, where we have a good record. We got a double against them last season, including a thrashing 6-0 in the home match. But it's up at Molyneux this weekend. Fingers crossed for the boys, they can get us a, a second consecutive win to start the season. And maybe we could be top again after that match. Let's see. So, Peter, stand or fall? Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.